What's up, everybody? Welcome to the KF Podcast. This is a very special episode. Um, we're very excited to welcome to the show author of the new military sci-fi series, The Achilles Battle Fleet, Mr. Brendan Wilson. Um, how are you doing today, Brendan? I'm doing fine, sir. How are you? Good, good. Um, we so, kind of wrote a little note, note in there that you had too many accolades for us to put into the intro. We were, <laughs> I was trying to make a smoother intro, and I'm like... Uh, okay, well, there's a lot in here, so I guess we'll uh, we'll just we'll just cut to the chase and call there him the author of the book. So that <laughs> that works good. Yeah, well, like Ken said, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking the time for meeting with us. Well, thank you. It's my honor to be um, to be included in the show. I think it's a it's a great opportunity. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, well, trust us. The honor is all us. We appreciate yes, absolutely. We appreciate when people want to give us the time of day. Uh, I think <laughs> we met we met through um, mutual friend Natasha. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Coppola. I can't. She has too many names now to remember because yeah, now she's absolutely. married now and she's has. A, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's married now, to Tommy Beardmore, who okay. is the uh, producer for the audio version um, of uh, the Achilles Battle Fleet. And he, and he yeah. and I actually made, made some films together, um, you know, back in the day. A wonderful guy. And she, I, I watched her um, interview with you. Uh, yeah. To get a, yeah. She sent it to me. So yeah, it's it, it's a great. Yeah, she was still wanted to fun. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, her um, friend Tim, who um, directed her show, she was in. He we had a couple of good talks with him too. Mm-hmm. It was really good. So uh, Tommy, you mentioned he I, he he starred in. Um, you had two short films, Doug's Christmas and A Child Lies Here, right? Yeah, that's right. And he and he, he he played the priest in A Child Lies Here, just sort of a, okay. a ghost story, mystery story. Um, and then he was the um, producer. Um, and I think the director also um, for Greetings from Prison. Okay. Um, and I was the ex- I served as the executive producer for that. Um, I didn't do any of the writing for that, so I, I can't take any credit for the creative portion of that. That was all him. Uh, and that was a, that's a wonderful. If you if you ever want to watch something that's just plain funny in short mm-hmm. increments, uh, those ten episodes are, are really good. And that one was called what again? Greetings from Prison. Greetings from prison. Okay, yeah, I did see that with him. So you've known Tommy for a while then, huh? I have, yeah. Wonderful okay. guy. Wonderful. We have not had the pleasure of meeting him yet. I, I just know that he uh, – I bought one of his inventions on Amazon. He created that bottle with the pills and, and, oh. and it. Uh, <laughs> he didn't uh, know that, yeah. Yeah, he created like a bottle for like – I take a lot of pills. So <laughs> it was like a pill container with a bottle of water attached to it. It was really cool. And, uh, yeah, he was selling those on it, Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we knew them through that. We, we, we interviewed Natasha before she had met him. Right guys. That was like yeah. Be- yeah. beginning of last year. And then, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they kind of had their whirlwind romance and next there thing you go. know, they're married. Yeah. So yeah, good, good for them. Um, so let's talk a little, uh, um, I felt you had a very, we talked a little bit before the show, you were saying how your accolades aren't really, you know, they're not what they, they seem to be, seem to be, but they are pretty, pretty, pretty serious. I mean, you were in the military for 25 years as a yeah. army ranger and paratrooper. Yeah. Yes. What was, what was that like? I mean, where were you stationed? Um, things like that? Okay. So, um, I went to, um, college in Virginia, James Madison okay. university. Um, I originally wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, and one of my uh, very good friends uh, talked me into joining um, Army ROTC under the theory that the Army would pay for my law school. Um, okay. But in fact, what they did was they paid for me to go to Ranger School instead. Um, <laughs> but no, but realistically, I just I was I was uh, actually an artillery officer. Um, I really enjoyed the physical leadership aspects of the military. 
Um, and I just went to all the schools that I could get to. I went to jump school, ranger school, air assault school. Um, I served in the 101st Airborne Division um, for my first three years while I was lieutenant. Um, then I went to Korea. I commanded a fire base there. Um, I eventually came back to the United States and I served as a battalion operations officer for an 18th Airborne Corps artillery unit. Um, and just like all other army officers, I did a bunch of other stuff because they always got something for you to do that's, um, yeah. that's not necessarily. I was a public affairs officer for about seven years. Um, three of those years I spent um, at, uh, at NATO headquarters uh, at the end of the 1990s during the NATO peacekeeping mission in Bosnia. And at that time, my boss was General Wesley Clark, um, who was a NATO commander. He was kind enough to write the foreword for the book. Mm. Um, a, a wonderful guy. And if we have time, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little anecdote about um, his leadership. And you can see how I sort of drew on some of my experiences with him for the, uh, for the main character of um, Admiral Chambers. Sure. Um, in the book. Um, I retired in 2004, and I, uh, I was actually working at NATO headquarters at the time. And I retired um, and went over to the civilian side. NATO has divided into two sort of categories. One is the international military staff that works um, <clears throat> on the military side. And then you've got a, a defense side, which is sort of like the Ministry of Defense, sort of like the Department of Defense. It's civilian. It's almost all, um, at least in my area, it's almost all former military officers. Mm. Um, and we do defense planning um, for NATO. And that's in that ca capacity. Um, I'd spent most of my time in Iraq, or a lot of the time in Iraq. Um, I was an advisor to the Iraqi Armed Forces. Um, and um, yeah, that's kind of my military thing. Um, about, wow. um, about three years ago, I had to retire. I was diagnosed with PTSD. I came back to the United States for treatment from the VA. Um, and when it was clear that I wasn't going to be able to work anymore, um, I decided to do two things. One was to finish this book, which I've been writing for about seven years. Um, to get it edited and get it published, um, get the audio version done. And the other one was I wanted to finish law school, which I had actually started about 17 years prior. Uh, and I wasn't able to finish it just because of 9-11 um, and all the things that we were involved in after that. Um, so I did pick that up. Um, in the last three years, I've almost finished with my law school now. Um, this book has been published. Um, I still have to write two other version, two other, <laughs> um, supposed to be Chapter. a trilogy. So. Yeah. Um, but if any of you have ever gone through law school, it's all consuming. It's much harder than I thought it was going to be. And uh, I haven't um, really been able to um, to write those other two. But in May, when I graduate, I will I will go full time to writing again. Yeah, there's none of us here, I think, could handle law school <laughs> uh, or that's yeah, that's crazy. So you were you were had ideas for this book while you were in the military, like while you were serving. I did. So in about 2011, um, I started to write this. I just I didn't really have an idea for necessarily a novel, but I had an idea for a scenario um, uh, and it just started to take form. I started to write it. And at some point, the characters took off. Um, they changed over time. They sort of told me what to write. It's hard to explain. Um, and it was clear that it was going to become a novel. I was actually very busy at the time. Um, uh, if you ever meet anybody that works at NATO headquarters, you know, the day for me started six o'clock in the morning. It went till whenever it went till, um, we traveled a lot. Um, and there just wow. wasn't any time where you could just sort of sit down and say, okay, now I'm going to write. So I wrote whenever I could, if I was on a train, on a plane, um, in a bunker in Baghdad, that's where I wrote. And wow. I, I, yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. 
I mean, that's, uh, I mean, you know, I know he said it before, but ser- seriously, that career is so impressive. And thank you so much for all, all you've given to the country for that. That's really well, That's amazing. very kind of you, but I did want, I will make the caveat here because there's going to be people that spent, I actually met a young man oh, about five or six years ago who had had seven tours in combat. Oh, wow. And wow. Um, when I, the last time I was in Baghdad for a very short period of time, just in and out, he was actually on his eighth tour. Um, so there's there's a lot of um, people uh, in most of them uh, a generation younger than me, but not all who have just mm-hmm. spent really a good portion of their adult life in very, very difficult circumstances. And yeah. my circumstances were much easier than that. Most of the yeah. time that I was in Iraq, I had a, a close protection team. I yeah. was in one of the uh, embassies. Um, I had people whose job it was to save my life. Um, and I was not um, doing some of the hard things that other people have done, and I don't want to present myself as if I had done that. Yeah, my brother-in-law has actually served a couple tours in Iraq. He's in the army. Um, I think actually three out of his four kids, I think he was away when they were actually born. You know, so he he we've we've done a lot. We've heard a lot of stories and talked a lot about it. So you know, to me, anybody who's been over there dealing with whatever you're doing, it's you know. It's such a sacrifice, you know, at any level compared to uh, us sitting here at our computer talking about comic books and, <laughs> and, no, I, and Marvel every, movies. Every job is important. It's one of the things that comes out of the novel. So. Yeah, well, that's true. Um, so one thing I thought was exciting, uh, interesting in here is the martial arts aspect of it. Um, Justin and I both I, I took karate for four or five years when I was in high school. Justin himself, you did what, judo for a while? Yeah, judo, uh, mostly in college and a little bit after college. Um, but uh, I actually studied under – I know with your extensive background, and especially in Taekwondo, um, are you familiar with the Grandmaster Q Ha Kim? I'm not. So okay. He, um, he recently passed away, but uh, he was a, uh, a judo coach for uh, the U.S. Olympic team in, in the 80s. Um, and, uh, he did some military advisement, uh, when he first came to this country from, from Korea. Um, but yeah, I was, was very honored to be able to learn under him, uh, Great. for the, for the time that I had. So. Great. Well, you what? probably like it cause I actually work judo into the, um, one of the training sessions. Uh, although I've never practiced judo, judo, I did work one of the techniques in there. So I'll leave that to you. Nice. So, <laughs> so what, what, um, Talk a little bit about your martial arts uh, training. Well, um, when I was 16 years old, I got cut from the varsity baseball team at um, in Fort Hunt High School in Alexander, Virginia. And I that that instant, I drove down to the local karate studio, um, actually the Taekwondo studio. It was called uh, Robert's Karate. And I started training in Taekwondo. Um, and um, I, I kept it up um, through high school and college. Um, I went into the military, um, and there was an, you know, there's always somebody that wants to train in the military. I coached, um, uh, and was a team captain for a couple of military teams, one from the 101st Airborne Division, one from 18th Airborne Corps. Mm-hmm. Um, I did some competition along the way, um, in, when I was in Belgium, um, part of my travel duty is as a public affairs officer, I would go with the advance party whenever the NATO commander would travel from country to country, and he gets a mm-hmm. lot of travel responsibility. Um, and of course, his close protection people, his bodyguards, always go on the advance party. They actually lead the advance party because they nobody can do anything unless they clear it. The NATO commander is also the U.S. commander for Europe. 
which means he has a very important role in the defense for the United States, which means he has to be protected at all times in, in mm. communications. Um, so anyway, his his close protection guys, I, I got to know them, and they had told me that they were going to Germany from Belgium to get training in weapons disarming techniques. Um, and I said, I will do that here for you for free because I have a little class that I'm running. So I did. I had him in for a little uh, a seminar, uh, and we practiced. What th Their issue was they didn't... Um, Unlike the United States, where a federal officer can draw his firearm to protect, a, you know, a, an official if he needs to, that's much more difficult in Europe. That's how they explained it to me. Um, if they have to shoot somebody in Europe, it's going to be a problem. Um, and what they wanted to be able to do was to make sure that if a firearm is, or another weapon was present, that they could, if the opportunity presented itself, disarm the person without drawing their weapons and shooting. So I had trained them in that. Um, although some of them were already pretty accomplished. I had one of them, I was doing a drill and I had my students who I was already trained with them. And I saw one of my students, you know, on his back, you know, in a submission <laughs> hold. And it turned out the guy he was trying to train had been a Detroit police officer before he joined the army. He absolutely <laughs> knew how to how to uh, take care of people like like that. But yeah. that's a lot of fun. And I um, when I, about um, 10 or 12 years ago, um, with my ex-wife, we had started our own martial art called Aristos, which is based on the Korean hard style stand-up um, type of techniques, but it was based on a philosophy drawn from classical Greece. Mm. Um, and part of the impetus for that was I thought that some of the uh, approaches that uh, we were getting were too authoritarian. You know, the, the grandmaster was the, the lord of it all and you were you were a nothing. And I, I really felt like there needed to be a more uh, a more open exchange. Um, and so we, instead of adopting the Confucian idea of courtesy, which is basically one of subservience and respect, we used um, the Greek idea um, of Zania, which is the guest host relationship. So that the guest, if you come into somebody's house, right, the person that's the guest is treated sort of like a god, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but the but the the person that comes in the house also understands that they have responsibilities to the host um, yeah. to protect them and to and to it's a mutual exchange of responsibilities. So we we kind of approached it from from that thing, that perspective. And that was quite successful. We trained people in Belgium in two different schools. You know, most of them were people who were flowing through either military or military families and they would mm -hmm. go back out to their country after um, a few years. Um, I did some competition in 2009. I won the silver medal at the U.S. Open wow. um, for um, for martial arts forms. Um, and I still do it today. Um, it's actually good for me. Um, my, my fact, my wife, uh, we were just recently married, um, but she had trained in karate um, for about five years. And then when we met here a couple of years ago, um, she um, I started to train her in my version of Taekwondo. Mm -hmm. uh, she's just taken her black belt test and passed it and she oh, did wow. really really good if you want i'll send you the photographs from the the pictures it's got her breaking boards you know at oh, height, wow. doing oh, all awesome. and she's my age too so she's pretty tough for for somebody uh in her 60s now do you do you go is there a school that you run now for that or do you just train on your own i i just train on my own i have um you know i have my basement set up as a dojang or mm -hmm. the japanese would call dojo um, and then there's a wonderful little park right right near me. It's one of the reasons I love Sycamore, Illinois. It's just this beautiful mm. little, you know, Andy of Mayberry town. But there's a beautiful park, and I walk there every morning. Um, I do my martial arts forms there, and, and I occasionally have other students. Um, I had an, I had a student that was um, 
my daughter is a physician um, and one of her physician friends. But when they went off to the residency, we, you never see them because they never come out. You know, they're, hmm. it's an 80 hour week. Um, but so I haven't seen it. So mostly it's just me and my wife now. Yeah. I was a uh, reason I asked is, you know, when I did karate when I was younger, I did it under the Japan Karate Federation. Yeah. Uh, so which, yeah. Which uh, was Master Demera at the time. Master Demera was the guy that actually trained Pat Morita for all the Karate Kid m- movies. Oh, is that back, right? Yeah. Back in like the, in the 80s. Yeah. And um, it was so I mean, I learned a lot from it. It was really good. It was really disciplined. But it was you had to really know what you were doing in order to advance your next level in a belt system. Sure. And. What I saw these days with modern karate, like I tried to get my kids into it mm-hmm. and these Taekwondo places around Pittsburgh, it's all just money. I mean, it seemed to me like if you pay your $35, they'll give you your yellow belt. You pay your next $35, they'll give you a stripe on it. They'll give you an orange, whatever the whatever their ranking is. And they really didn't care about the development of the kid. And I didn't like it. I pulled my kids out of it. I'm like, this is just a money grab. Like they're not really learning I mean, I learned so much in just the five years I took it, stuff I still remember today, and sure. just, you know, the aspect of it, where it seems to me like the, it's hard to find someone that really cares about the skill and the talent of it and the tradition of it, as opposed to just, yeah. we want to make money. You know, we're here to make, yeah. we don't care if you're good or not. You can be a black belt in two months if you if you, if you you pay enough dues. If you, you know? pay enough, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's just a shame. But um, I, I, will, I will tell you, there are some great instructors out there. I think it's very difficult to make a living if that's your yeah. primary purchase. I've never charged ever. Even I had two full schools. We we just did it. Um, yeah. Brought us. Um, in fact, for most of my students, wouldn't have been able to afford even their uniforms, and we yeah. paid for that and their certification. Um, but that that's because it wasn't my primary source of income. So I you know right. I, I could do that. But I have worked with with other people. Um, and some wonderful instructors through the years. Not all of them have stayed in it because it is difficult. You know, they they just basically end up taking other careers. Right. Uh, some of them, some of them have, and they're they're just amazing, wonderful people. Um, my uh, my wife um, trained with uh, Russell Burke, who has uh, Burke uh, Karate Academy in Tallahassee, Florida. That's a wonderful school. If you you know, and it, you should go there and watch it if you want to see mm. how. Um, a traditional martial arts can work with a lot of students um, in a Great. really healthy, uh, healthy atmosphere. I was just so impressed um, when I went down there and um, I, I watched one of his courses and, and talked to him a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Great. All right. Well, uh, why don't we talk about the book a little bit? Okay, um, great. Let's get into the into the good part. So the book, The Achilles Battle Fleet, um, this is book one. From yeah. what we understand, right? It's the I want to say the name. It's the Mei Ling Lee is the name of book one. That's correct. Yeah. All right. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? You know. Sure. So the story starts. The plot line starts mm-hmm. with you've got sort of a ragtag group of starships. They are evacuating civilians um, from a contested area. There's a low level of combat, um, and the book starts with two people. Um, there's Admiral Jay Chambers, who is the inspector general. He's an older admiral, sort of out of his prime, um, sort of passed over. The inspector general isn't really an important post. Um, and he's they're doing an inspection on a troop carrier um, after hours because there's some sort of command climate problem on that vessel. And while they're waiting for the captain to come to the bridge, they see that the command vessel is destroyed and they've been they're being ambushed and they're under attack. And everyone is just sort of flabbergasted because they know that 
thousand people probably have died. Um, and the admiral's very cool, and he just says, um, you know, Lieutenant Lee, you will be the, take command of this bridge as a battle captain. I'm going to transfer the flag. I'm going to take command of the because he knows all the other admirals are dead. Um, and so she just kind of wakes up and she walks out and does what she's been trained to do. Um, and she gets um, uh, gets a report. She starts to move the forces around. And the, the, so that's the impetus for getting the novel going. What you see is Admiral Chambers, who is really a, a warrior at heart. He takes the survivors and he gets them together and he gets them moving. And his idea, his vision is they've been told they've got an announcement that came from the president who is like the 30th in line because 30 people have been killed that were in line for the presidency. Um, he is um, he uh, the president has said that their guidance is to um, defend civilian populations and prepare for offensive operations. So he says, that's great. I'm an independent command. And he says, this is going to be a battle fleet. We're going to train it and prepare it, and we're going to find the enemy because they don't know who the enemy is. And we're going to take mm -hmm. the battle to the enemy. Then he gets everybody working for that. And um, if you let me tell me a little story about General Clark, you'll see where I got where I got that motivation. Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And then the the uh, but the story then revolves around them developing that. There's a couple of themes. Right. One is the just the general, you know, sci fi military sci fi battle scenario. What I drew upon I, at one point in my military career, I was um, assistant professor of military science at the University of Colorado at Boulder, and I taught military history. So I've got a, a, an interest in military history, and I uh, drew from some of the uh, historical battles, um, like Alexander the Great at Guatemala, right, oh, okay. and um, uh, Nelson um, at the Nile. And so I, the battles are sort of revolving around that. Sometimes there's an actual reference to that. But most of the time, it's left for the reader to see if they can find that and if they can find that connection. Um, and I, so there's a military history theme on that. Um, there is a special operations theme that I got from having trained with and served with the Rangers. Um, and one of the things that comes out of that, which I think anybody who's been in the military will appreciate, and I hope that non-military readers will, will also appreciate that, is the dedication that the special operations people spend in their training and they train over and over and over again um mm -hmm. uh you know fire maneuver communications repeat um never satisfied they just continue to to do that there's a martial arts theme that runs through that which i think martial artists would appreciate and, and other observers um there's also a theme of uh, what it's like to be a woman in a male dominated environment where they have to sort of find their way and um there is a, a scene in there where Mei Ling Lee is um, is approached by a bully in the gym and she basically calls him out and says, OK, let's do this. Um, that actually happened to my ex-wife, um, something like, very like that. She mm -hmm. was uh, my ex-wife was also a martial artist. She's a fifth degree black belt and she was wow. approached by a very large um, man in her office who thought that it was funny that she was very petite um, the, the character Mei Ling Lee is actually based on her as an Asian uh, woman born in Hong Kong. And he came up behind her and poked her. And she turned around and put him in a submission hold and said, Jeez. can I help you? Wow. <laughs> yes. He said, no, 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 it's good. It's good. And then she twisted it a little bit and she, and she said, uh, are you sure I can't help you? He said, no, no, I'm fine. She said, I don't like to be poked. Right? Wow. 
So and that's so a yeah, scary combination of words. Uh, ex-wife <laughs> and fifth degree, ex-wife and fifth degree black belt is a scary combination of words. Speaking from no, someone no, no. who has an ex-wife, that's pretty terrifying <laughs> to me. <laughs> no. No, my, my ex-wife Sonia Mayling is her middle name. Um, uh, Russell. She is a, is a wonderful person. I have a, a very respectful relationship with her. Um, Great. And uh, and there's no no. There's no um, harshness. I'm, I'm not afraid that she'll track me down or anything. <laughs> Put you in a submission hold. <laughs> that's right. But um, so I think that's that's one of the themes. But the, the, the most important theme to me, well, let me back up a little bit. There's also a science theme, right? So the, the enemy that is attacked has a technology which they don't understand. And okay. they have to try to figure it out, drawing upon the resources that they have. And I did some sort of experimental um um, thought process with um, uh, quantum field theory. And I said, if you could take quantum field theory and do this with microscopic objects, you could also do it with macroscopic objects. So that's wow. the theory behind that. It turns out that one of the maintenance NCOs, the chief petty officer, is actually a famous scientist who has been hiding from government assassins for 20 years. And he steps <laughs> up, he steps up and says, no reason to hide anymore, right? I think mm -hmm. this is what this is, um, and he tries to come up with ways that they, the military can then ca counter that. But to me, the most important thing is watching people under stress, um, having to make decisions. And, mm -hmm. we, and, uh, and I think everybody can relate to this. You have to make yeah. a decision of which there is no perfect solution. So every decision has a risk. Every decision has consequences. Some decisions have guaranteed negative con consequences, and that's true in the military. You got a, a course of action. Somebody's going to get hurt. And yet, are you going to do it? You have to make that decision. And I think the what happens to the person when they've made those decisions, what happens to their own character and their own self-image is kind of what, to me, was the most important part of the book. You know, what does Mayling think about herself after she's had to do some very hard things? And I think a lot of people can do that. You don't have to be in the military or, you know, the police force. To, to do that. We all do that. We've all done that during the pandemic. We've had to make yeah. decisions about our jobs, about our families, about our safety. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and those decisions have consequences. They're not free. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I, I can say that the, the intro to the book is intense. Uh, I, I'm not, I'm not super far into it, but I have gotten started and that, that opening sequence when, when the ship gets destroyed and uh, you know, the, the kind of, you get the sense of, of panic that everyone is, is feeling. And, and then, like you said, when Mei Ling Lee wakes, kind of wakes up and, and just steps into her role, it was, uh, uh, I, I've, I've enjoyed the intro quite a bit. So I'm looking forward to moving, moving further in the book. Well, thank you. Yeah. That was my intent was the, was the, the sort of grasp the reader and, and put the reader in the position of somebody, um, who has to do something like that, just step up and take command. Cool. Now, is this written? Is this series take place in the distant future, or is there a time so, frame? One of the things which is which is not it, the date is given uh, okay. because the date on the initial communique from the president is given. It's actually the 600th anniversary of the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. Oh wow! Wow! Oh, wow! And then you get a little bit of the history um, when they start recruiting people for the intelligence section. Um, you get some of the history uh, that's in, engaged. But what had happened was that the Americans' war on terrorism in the 21st century had weakened um, 
the international order. Um, and that when the international order then was hit with the pandemics of the 21st century, um, it collapsed, which was followed by nuclear war and a century of chaos before the alliance was reestablished. So to to be fair, I wrote that in 2011 before. That was <laughs> oh, wow. I was oh, going to no. say, that's a little topical right now. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. Predicting the future in these books. <laughs> But um, to, to be fair, there, there was plenty of warning um, that pandemics were possible. The, you know, the government had a plan. Um, yeah. One of my jobs when I was served in Atlanta, I was on Response Task Force East, which is the Defense Department's response to, um, you know, weapon, it's, it's, it's used for weapons of mass destruction. So if there is ever a chemical or a nuclear attack on U.S. soil, the Defense Department has a team that goes out and coordinates that initial response. But we also prepared to respond for a pandemic. So we, we knew about for a long time, the government has known that um, some sort of flu like pandemic was a, certainly a potential. So when I wrote that into the book, I didn't think I was really using, you know, any prophecy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, Ken Brock, you guys have any questions about, about the story? Um, yeah, hold on one second. Let me just grab something here. Um, yeah, Brock, do you have anything? Sorry, am I having a hard time connecting here? <laughs> <laughs> you can go, um, Brock. How, yeah, how many books do you have planned for the series? So th this was uh, designed to be a trilogy. Um, okay. As you read through the book, um, I have spent some time developing the different characters in the book. Um, my uh, my editor, um, uh, David Himmel, had actually one time said, I don't see why you're spending so much time on this because it doesn't further the plot. And I said, I have a, I wanted the characters to be developed because I want them to have a potential for follow on books. Right. Right. So at the end of the climax um, in the epilogue, they talk about what all the different characters are doing now. It's six months later. Mm, okay. And I've left that open so that you could have these three books. And then if there's, you know, the, the interest in the aptitude, some of the other characters could have books of their own. That's awesome. I mean, that's great to see somebody that actually cares about character development because it feels like <laughs> yeah. nowadays with everything you watch, they introduce a character in two minutes and then the character's gone and you're like, wow, they didn't. I don't know. Why do I care about this character? You know, there was nothing more. Right. I mean, we, we review a lot of movies and a lot of TV shows. And that's one thing we always harp on is like, why do I care about that character and, and I, that show I, I just watched? You know, like there was no setup for this person. They're trying to make it seem like you're really upset that they died. So yep. I, it's I weird. I completely agree with you. I even yeah. told my wife the other day we were watching a movie. I said, I hope that character dies. I'm sick of this. <laughs> I don't care about them. These are all things we've said multiple times. This year. <laughs> oh, yeah, multiple times. So are you free uh, on Thursdays? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> An editor telling you, like, why are you wasting time on character development sums up the entertainment industry nowadays. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I did not mean to, to make that critical of David Himmel, who is a wonderful, uh, a wonderful guy and a wonderful. He's actually yeah. the, the, the publisher of the book. So. But that's cool. It's good to see, you know, new stuff coming out that people actually want you to care about a character and, yeah. and understand why they're doing what they're doing. You know, um, I think that's what people want to see. I think. Yeah. You know, yeah. Interest, they'll read For the sure. book if they can realize that there's something going on with that character. Yeah. Um, if, if I could just give a, a shot, you know, what um, General Clark had written and I pulled it out and put it on the back of the book, he said, readers will take from Brendan's novel an understanding that individuals make a difference, that character counts, and with courage and competence, history is made. Mm -hmm. I mean, what a beautiful 
what a beautiful yeah. thing to say. And I really sure. appreciated them saying that because that's really what I want people to take away from the book. Wow. Excellent. That's amazing. Yeah. So I know probably a lot of this is inspired by your actual military history and things you've come across, but did you take any inspiration from any other films or books or anything that you're like, wow, I really like that aspect, something I saw in Star Wars or Star Trek sure, or whatever, yeah. you know? Well, I, I think, I don't know if it's inspiration, but as you read the book, you know, it's, they've already got faster than light travel. We don't call it warp drive, but you know, that's there. That's, that's yeah. something that every reader understands because of, mm. Um, uh, Star Trek and Star Wars and so forth. Yeah, um, light speed stuff. Yeah, um, it, it the movie uh, and the and the uh, television show Battlestar Galactica starts in very similar type of, of ways, um, so that people would be um, familiar with that. Um, I really liked um, uh, uh, Highlands Starship Trooper, the book. Um, I didn't I didn't really um, engage with the movie as well. He wrote yeah, also the movie kind of silly. The, <laughs> yeah, he wrote a book back in the 50s called um, Space Cadet, which actually takes somebody training for a military academy um, to 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 be, um, a, you know, a spaceman or, or whatever, part of the space military. Um, mm -hmm. And so, some of those things, I think, certainly had an, an influence um, on me. I mean, Starship Troopers was a, a silly movie, but I did like I did like the way they portrayed the military in the future, how like people served and went and, and, and the different experiences they had and the way mm -hmm. rank was set up. Obviously it got a little out of control with the goofy bug aliens and all that stuff, yeah. but I always thought the military aspect of that was a cool movie. Yeah. But if you, it, the, the book is really good. Um, the okay. book is really worth reading and it, it's not silly at all. Um, you won't agree with everything Highland wrote in there, but um, um, it does, it does also follow that. And he, of course he was in the military um, in the Navy during world war two. So, he brought some of his experience to that, I think. Okay. So you're working with, um, is the audio book out right now or that's still being worked on? It's, it's just, it's, it's with, um, the company that does that for audible. And, um, I'm not sure what that is. Um, so it should be out within days for sure. Oh, wow. okay. Um, okay. that was really a good experience for me. Um, Tommy, uh, Beardmore and David Himmel had recruited Harmony Zhang to be the voice actress for that. And we, we had actually put out a thing. We had about a dozen people come back and say, you know, give us little auditions for that. Um, and they were all really good. But Harmony is really something. You're going to love this audio version that she does. She um, she just nails it. First of all, she you know she she does the narration part perfect. She does um, she she is of um, Chinese descent. She's a Mandarin speaker, so she knows exactly how to do the accents and so forth. Um, she is a, probably about the age of um, uh, Mei Ling Lee, um, somewhere in her um, mid to late 20s. But she just does a great job. And to give you an example, the book isn't, I would, I didn't write the book with this idea that anyone would ever have to do a voice, you know, it just wasn't in my mind. Yeah. But some of it's very complicated. There's a court martial at the end that has 11 speakers, right? Wow. And some of them are, you know, from East Africa, and some of them are um, from China, and some of them are older males, and some of them, you know, she just nails that. It's done beautifully. And, I, and wow. the only reason that we were able to afford her was because she had just graduated from uh, DePaul's um, uh, drama in the MFA. So she just kind of started out, as I told those guys, you know, two years from now, we're never going to be able to afford her. <laughs> um, and if you want to have her on, I'll bet I'll bet you she would be able to. I mean, she's done other things as well. Yeah, I think this is really 
cool. a, a, a place for her talents. Wow. And I really enjoyed that whole process. One of the fun things I had was, because I'm military, I'm using a lot of military terms. Now, I try to explain them in the book, mm. but if you're not military, you don't know how they're pronounced because they're not words in the English language. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so she would just do her best that I would have to say, okay, well, there's a different way of saying that, you know. But uh, the funny. other thing that was that was really good about it was that there were some inconsistencies in the text, right? So the book hadn't been published yet. And she was able to, and when you, when you read it, you find those inconsistencies that you wouldn't get just from, from reviewing it. So that was a huge benefit um, to us to, to have her go through that and say, Hey, this isn't, this isn't working right. These, yeah. We changed the names of the characters, but that those names don't work anymore. So, yeah. Well, that's really cool. Yeah. I can't wait for the audiobook. I'd love to check it out. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm um, a, big audiobook guy these guys make fun of me a little bit because i i read a lot of books but most of it is done through audible um, so i'm, I do the same. I'm, I do I'm the definitely same. looking looking forward to the audio uh version okay. of this yeah I, I really do think people are gonna like that audio version yeah cool so the the book right now i see i know you can get achilles battle fleet on amazon yep. you can get it on um their uh what's their what's the thing you use there justin the kindle, kindle. Kindle. You download it on Kindle. I think it's uh, you can get it on paperback as well. Yeah. Um, can you get it in uh, lo local bookstores too as well, like uh, um, Barnes and Noble and that as well? Yeah, we have an expanded contract. So, um, but I don't know. I, I know that um, I saw Target was advertising it. I don't know whether it's in those other stores. It's an early, um, it's early days. Uh, yeah, it just came out. You can get it. Um, yeah. Oh, anyway, so I just I did want to tell you that one little story about General Clark. If you sure. You oh yeah. So, you remember that in, in the late 1990s, I think it was the mid-1990s, there was that horrible massacre in Srebrenica where the Muslims, uh, 7,000 men uh, and boys were executed, and then the, their families were kicked out of Srebrenica. Um, and so General Clark did two things. First of all, he helped negotiate the Dayton Peace Accords, which puts the country back together and stopped the Civil War. And then he was responsible for the NATO forces, which went and enforced the peace treaty. So that had been going on for a couple of years. And in 1998, he decided to visit Srebrenica. So I went with him with a very small team of uh, security, communications, diplomats, and so forth, uh, enough to get on a, a van, basically. And we went in there and, you know, he was walking around. And as we pulled up, a bus of load of journalists came up. But the journalists were being led by a public affairs officer from the OSCE. And all the journalists were from Muslim countries and no Muslims had been back in Srebrenica since the massacre. And it was bringing up some tension. So we did a little press conference on the street and they had like four cameras and about 20 journalists. And the security guys who I've told you I worked with came up to me and they said, well, the, the translator has told us that the men have told these uh, boys to pick up rocks and throw them at the general. And I said, well, what will you do? And he said, well, we'll just we'll just get between him and the rocks and we'll move him out of here. Um, but we're not going to stop the press conference. So as he's giving the press conference and we're waiting to see where the rocks will be thrown at him, an older man who I think was intoxicated got up behind him and started yelling at him in Serbian. And uh, general, so the, the cameras are on, there's nothing to be done about it. And so he turns around and he says, come on down here and talk to me. And uh, the translator tells him that, um, and uh, the guy shakes his head and, and General Clark says, tell him if he doesn't come down here, I won't talk to him. So the guy comes down and then General Clark does this. He puts his hands out like this and he says, what can I do for you? Right. 
And the guy immediately takes that as a friendly gesture and he gets on his knees and he grabs his hands. He starts to cry. He says, we're worried that we're going to be you're going to make us leave our homes. And General Clark said, did you vote in the last election? And the guy said, no. And he said, this is your country. You need to vote in the in the elections if you want to stay in your homes. And, it, and it, the kids dropped their rocks and we didn't get any trouble after that. That was a wonderful thing. It was on camera. And when he ran for president, I thought for sure he'd use that film. But he didn't. He's actually he's quite a modest person, by the way. Um, oh, wow. But I think you'll see that that um, element of leadership um, reflected in um, in the character of Admiral Chambers. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Excuse me. So um, just to wrap up a future things, I had a couple questions here. Um, so this book, three books. Do you have anything, ideas you're looking for after Achilles Battlefleet, like other type of stories you would like to tell or a different novel you want to get into, you know, different direction? Or you, do you feel more do you, are you comfortable in the military stuff or anything you, you thought about venturing out into? Because you've had a lot of other experiences. Yeah, well, I, I haven't really given it much thought. I do really want to get these three books done and I do want to leave open the opportunity of writing books about the other um, characters. One of the things I want to do once I get my law degree and get qualified is to help refugees. And part of what I had seen overseas, some people in very difficult circumstances. I once tried to help um, uh, one of the interpreters get out of Iraq. Um, it's just um, and the things that have happened recently <clears throat> is very moving for me. To see. I mean, the idea that somebody with a child who has no resources is desperate to try to do something and, and has no one to help them um, is something that I would like to try to do. So I'm going to spend some time doing that. And that's that's still a journey for me um, to get that done. That's fantastic. Uh, but, but beyond that, I don't really have any. I think it's going to be hard enough to write these next two books, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Would you be interested if somebody wanted to do a movie about it and make you write a screenplay for it or something like that? Uh, well, I'd love to do that. Um, um, the director of the two films that... Um, that where I'd, I had done the background story, they were short stories turned into, mm. it was Calvin Steinkin. Um, this is about, about 2015 or so. Um, he, he's absolutely wonderful. Um, and I and so I wrote him, uh, and I sent him a copy of the book, and I said, let's make this in a movie. He said, I'm in. You know, I said, we just need $20 million. You know? Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, I'd, yeah. Love, I'd love to... To, to do that. Um, the producer for um, A Child Lies Here was Doyle Devereaux. Um, he, you know, he's a, a, an Emmy winning actor in his own right. Um, and his father, Clark Devereaux, played uh, Doug in Doug's Christmas. Uh, Doug's Christmas is about a Korean War veteran who is trying to adjust. Clark Devereaux is actually a Korean War veteran. The story was modified for um, um, for him. And then during the, the story, he actually tells the story of losing one of his friends in combat and he starts to cry and everybody on the scene is crying, including the, you know, the person on the camera and stuff like that. The person, wow. you know, it's just such a moving, um, such a moving thing. And we, we showed that in different, I mean, we got standing ovations. People would stand up and cry at the end of that movie. It was, wow. a, it was really something I would love for him to play Admiral Chambers. <laughs> if you guys could get me in touch with somebody who has $20 million, we'll do it. <laughs> yeah, we'll, 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 we'll get on that. Just as long as when the movie's debuting, you know, we get you first interview and we get the, <laughs> and, and, and we get the actress too. Yeah, that's yeah, good. We that's want good. first rights. 
<laughs> and we want invited to the movie premiere, right, guys? We want to go okay. out to Hollywood yeah, yeah, for, for sure. Absolutely. I promise. I promise. Little red carpet premiere. You guys get me the funding. You'll be my. my <laughs> All right. We'll try to get list. on that funding. That's great. Um, so the last thing I want to do before we end is just couple of questions since you know we are a pop culture type podcast and we talk about that stuff all the time just curious what is some of you what's your favorite movie of all time like one of your favorite films oh my goodness i wish i had prepared for that <laughs> you know, comedy favorite film you know whatever stuff um i'm trying to think you know when i was I went through a phase which i think we probably all went through where the first three star wars movies the first three that were produced I mean, yeah. I just watched them over and over, you know. Yeah. Um, I loved those. Um, I loved those movies. Um, Are you a fan of any of the newer Star Wars stuff? That, not not that, really. That it's harder, out? Yeah, harder for me to engage that. I don't, I don't yeah. know why. Um, it's not uh, as good. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, <laughs> the, the swashbuckling, you know, yeah. Luke Skywalker and stuff like that. So I, I'd have to say I don't really have a favorite, but I did. I did like those three. Yeah. Are you a fan of the current comic book movie culture? Any of the like the Marvel movies? Any of those? Do you do you like any of them? I haven't really engaged them. You know, I've watched really? a couple of them. I don't quite get it. Um, I'm sure that's me. That's that's not a reflection of the movie uh, itself. Yeah. I'm sure there's people that enjoy that. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah. They have twenty million dollars, don't they? Yeah, they do. Yeah. If we can get a hold of Disney, you know, <laughs> we make this the next adventure that they want to go off on. You know. There we go. Yeah. How about favorite sports teams? Um, you know, I'm not really a sports fan. When I was a, uh, there was a time when I was a child when I lived in New York, and I lived in New York when the Mets won the World Series. Right, okay. the Knicks won. Um, the championship, the Jets won the championship in that 69-70 um, era. And um, at that point in my life, everything was downhill after that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I don't know if you you guys are, are a little bit younger than me, but, you know, Tom Seaver um, uh, was the was the pitcher for the Mets. He, he is actually a friend of my father's and came over to the house and signed up. Oh, wow. Me. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was a great time. We got to see one of the World Series games. Yeah. The um, Jets haven't been good since. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I, yeah, that was and, and after that, it's been kind of downhill. I don't really follow sports as much. So. Well, I, I I got the impression that you were in the Chicago area. I am. I, I'm in the and, little town Sycamore. About and I'm a big Chicago sports fan, so I was yeah. I was hoping maybe you were a fellow <laughs> Chicago sports fan too. I like. Well, yeah. I don't meet many Chicago sports fans in Pittsburgh. You have shamed me. Everyone in Chicago, they'll say, oh, yeah, such and such a team is playing. I'll go, I don't even know. I'm sorry. I can't even see the players. Well, you're not missing much in Chicago right now other than a bunch of losing. So uh, it's probably a good time for that to not be a fan there. Yeah. Awesome. Well, anything that else, guys? Any other questions, guys? Anything else you'd so. like to plug or anything? Or Yeah. The floor well, is yours. I, well, uh, yeah. first of all, I'd, I'd like to – I'm very, very grateful for this opportunity, and I really enjoyed talking to you guys. You're, you're, you're obviously a great uh, bunch of people, um, and I, and I appreciate the, the feedback and the encouragement that you, you've given me. And I really do hope you enjoy the book. I think you will, especially, you know, you'll be able to apply different parts of it. Um, yeah. Uh, to things that you've done in your karate and judo and, you know, just the, the, the general – facing a crisis and, and having to do that cool and um are you on is there anywhere do you want to plug are you on instagram twitter or any of those things like that do you have a website anything yeah. we can plug 
If you go to uh, brendanwilsonwrites.com, that will that's the website that um, Natasha has set up for me. I'm completely ignorant. I think I do okay. have an Instagram account, but I don't know how to use it. <laughs> but um, she she knows how to use Instagram, she so she'll anything. share this podcast with everybody. She's good yeah, at yeah, that she, stuff. Yeah, she she will. Yeah, she she's absolutely she's very aggressive. I mean, you know, she's <laughs> talk, contacting twenty people a day, and yeah, she's and, uh, she's awesome. She's 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 a hilarious person to talk to. We really enjoy talking with her. She's fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. she she really is wonderful. But um, yeah, I think Brendan Wilson writes is the is the place to go. Um, awesome for that yeah and that probably right. does lead you to the instagram page or something great and like i said it's available on amazon it's available online uh, yeah. i did check here and look it is on target.com there's, there, yeah. there's a picture of it oh, fantastic so awesome you, you can find it at all those retail places and then the audio book will be out uh probably on audible and and yeah. other places where you can find it so yeah look for it achilles battle fleet it was a pleasure talking to you sir Absolutely. Thank uh, you. We had a great time. And uh, Ken, Thank take you. us out. All right, everyone, please like, share, subscribe, invite, tell your friends, check us out, and have a great evening. All right. All right. Good night. Thanks.